on Sunday night, I'm talking about prophecy. Prophecy to people seems to be something separated from the rest of the Bible. It is the Bible. It's not about the Bible. It is the Bible. It's everything that ever went through. I'll come up here and I'll start to tell you, I'll start to give you a list of verses when I think about prophecy, what I think of. Well, first of all, thinking about prophecy, I'm going to think about Judges through Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, because that's the end of Israel's history, and because of what they did in that period, they were scattered all over the face of the earth. God warned them when they came out of Egypt. Moses went up on uh, Mount Sinai and came down in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. And warned them, now if you go after other gods, when I take you into this land that I gave to your father Abraham, I told him you have to be obedient the answer is obey. You have to be, that's the key word. You have to be obedient to me in order to keep the land. If you're not obedient, and they weren't, they kept going after Baal, Grove, and all the gods. Grove is the word Ashura. That guy wrote this letter this morning, S-H-E-R-A-H, which means the upright God. Baal means the Lord, but God would forbid his people to call him Baal. So they called the sun god Baal and the tree goddess, which was the consort. A consort is a, only way I know to describe it is a girlfriend, is a sweetheart. That's the sweetheart of Baal, the sun god. And you'll find these people in every movie that you look at on Saturday and they've got uh, the old bodybuilder Steve Reeves uh, coming out there and looking real strong. And they'll call him Hercules. And uh, they made tons of those old movies. And they'll be talking about the child of the sun. Well, that's exactly what Israel went after. And I think of prophecy when I think of what they went after. And if I can help you to see this. Prophecy is about this time period, and God is aiming toward that all through before they get to the the time of the kings. This is the time where they didn't have kings in the book of Judges, but they had judges to tell them what to do and how to behave. And when they get into second, first Samuel, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, that's the time period that Israel was a kingdom. They were the kingdom of God is what they called themselves because God was their king. And Jesus is the king of the Jews. It's the same thing. So God scatters them all over the world. And he says, at the end of time, I will bring you all back. Bring back. But during that time period, God rejects literal Israel and accepts spiritual Israel in fact, the only Israel he ever accepted was spiritual Israel. He did not accept 
literally Israel when they were disobedient to him. He said, I'll be your God, you'll be my people as long as you obey. But he scattered them and he said, what I'm going to do when I bring them back, I'm going to have spiritual Israel. And that's the only ones I'm coming back for, and that will be the church. A Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. I don't know what I got that up there for. Where's my... I'm looking for an eraser. Huh? Toward the candlesticks. Huh? The other side. Oh, well, stipulate which candlestick. I was trying. I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and is the church. The Bible says that over and over in the New Testament. And I think of that. I think of uh, Romans, the second chapter, where the Jew is of the heart. I think of... Uh, of Ephesians, the second chapter, where circumcision is outwardly, but Colossians, the second chapter, circumcision is spiritual, it's of the heart. And I think of all this when I'm thinking of prophecy. And I've got, I've got chapters in the Bible that in my mind, and I start to tell you on Sunday night what they are, and I never get to the last one. In fact, there are more than just what's on here. I'll just sit down and scribble, just scribble what my uh, what my mind is thinking when I'm thinking of prophecy. I'm thinking of. I'm gonna try not to stop until I get through these, because I always stop on one of them and I take off, and I say to you, I didn't mean to teach on that tonight. Oh, well, I've spit. How many years since 1964? 55. 55 years. I've spent that long just studying prophecy. I heard a, I've heard preachers preach at prophecy, but I heard one man teach on the 70 weeks of Daniel back then. He was supposed to be a doctor of theology. He didn't exhaust it, and it so interested me. I started studying in 1964 on prophecy, and particularly the 70 weeks of Daniel. I spent that much time. If I repeat it to you, please forgive me or don't forgive me. Listen, because the 70 weeks of Daniel, I have studied and thought and thought and put together and and, and uh, just tried to synthesize the scripture. And it will synthesize if you give it time. Don't force any square peg into a round hole. But the, here's the things that I think of. Here's the things I think of in thinking of prophecy. Particularly these chapters, and I'll think of some more as I'm going along. But Matthew 24, Mark 13, and these are sister chapters in Luke 21. This, these are called the synoptic Synoptic Gospels because they have a synonymous view. When you look up something in one of them, look up the same thing in another. It'll be over. If you have a Thompson chain like I've got, it'll have the other places where it mentions it there on the right or the left margin. It'll have it right there. 
it's not that I'm so smart, I had to look at my margin, there it is. But I've been looking at the margin so long that I know where a lot of them are. And then I think of Luke 17. That's kind of, he kind of saying the same thing he's saying right here in these. He's talking about as it was in the days of Lot, when God called him out of Sodom, so it shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And it says the basic same thing in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And so all of these go together. Then I think of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And this chapter 4 is the chapter where, I don't need to spend much time on this, this is the chapter where so many of these pre-trib rapture people come up and say, see, there's the rapture, it must be pre-trib. It's not. It's, and they, the Bible will speak that we're not to sorrow as others which have no hope. But if we, those that sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? And we who are to alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not go before, will not go up to meet the Lord in the air before those that go that are asleep. They're not, they use that word asleep to say uh, we go into a sleeping mode when we die. No, we don't. Death, you got to remember, means thanatos, T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S, means separation it does not mean annihilation, separation. So we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not go out to meet the Lord in the air before those that are asleep in Christ and they're in the grave. But we which, I've got to repeat that because there's two words I always want to remind you of, uh, that we, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. That's... That's a part of chapter 4 that most of those people that believe in a pre-trib rapture don't understand the words. We which are alive and perilipa. Perilipa means uh, to survive, remain. They put remain in there, but don't always trust what they put in there. Get your interlinear Bible out and look at it. And then get your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and look at that. It means to survive. What there's going to be is a great slaughter. Survive. S-U-R-V-I-V-E. It means to survive a great onslaught. We were to alive and remain unto the coming, the parousia, p P-O-U-R-I-S-I-A. Perusia. No, P-O-U-R-S-I. I'll get it in a minute. Perusia. It means physical arrival. Nearly any time you see that word perusia, it means physical arrival. That's why when the... When the uh, Apostles asked Jesus in the 24th chapter there in verses 1 and 2, what's going to be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? What's going to be the signs of your arrival? And he goes through there and tells them about the signs. We preached about that. We which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not go before those that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall send ascend from heaven with a shout. 
when you look at that word shep, uh, kaluo, K-E-L-L-E-U-O. Kaluo means a war cry. And all those preacher rapture people, they say, this fourth chapter of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, shows Jesus coming back at a preacher rapture. No, it shows him coming back with some of us surviving this great slaughter, and there's a war cry given. Now, but they say these verses here in chapter 4, that he comes and he sounds the trumpet, and he comes, this is crazy, the way the preacher rapture people say it. He comes and calls us out in the air with this shout, and he sounds and he sounds a trumpet and says, "All right, charge now, before we charge, let's come up here for seven years during the tribulation period, and it's a shout, but they call it a silent coming what what the pre-trib rapturist, if they define these words. Paraleep, I'll survive, shout. And that's about, that's why he says, we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not go before those that are asleep. The Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. We which are alive and remain be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is about the end, about the second coming of Christ, but it's at the end of time. Then I've got these other chapters. I've got. Huh? It's that's what I'm saying. If it's a war cry and it's a shout and a trumpet sounding, how can it be a silent coming? It's ridiculous. Who says that? All the pre-trib rapture people believe that. All these Baptists believe it. All these Pentecostals believe it. They think he's coming with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and it's going to be a silent coming. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. Especially when you define remain. When you define remain and shout, it's a loud coming. And when you're studying this, you have to look at with a shout and remain you got to look at Revelation 14 and you have to look at Revelation 16 where you got Armageddon in fact the only place you find Armageddon in the Bible is Revelation 16 17 that's the only place it's not anywhere else in the Bible the writer said comes from Har and Megiddo. It's uh, Harming's Mountain. Har. It means the Valley of Megiddo, and we don't really know where that is. Now, there's uh, places that people think they know, and I won't get into that right now. Now, when I'm talking about the Second Coming... You get into Revelation 14. There's a lot of verses in Revelation. I took you up to Revelation 12 one night. I didn't go finish. You got the end of time. Let me try to explain this to you. 
I spent a lot of time studying and thinking and meditating and cogitating. Putting this in my mind and just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Laying in bed at night thinking, riding down the road thinking. If you if you get anything in your head, if you get mathematics in your head, you'll drive down the road thinking about it. If you'll get the Word of God in your head, you'll think about it. And you'll see things fitting together and meshing together. I've got these other chapters. I think of these when I think of the end of time. Let me give you a few of them. I think of in Revelation, I think of chapter 6 at the end of time. I think of chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 15, 16, 18, 19, and 20. You've got the end of time happening in all of these chapters. Revelation is not a chronological uh, list of events. It doesn't, chapter 6 don't take you exactly to chapter 8. In chapter 6, you got the mountains. I don't want to go there right now. Can I not go there? You got the mountains being removed. Maybe I need to. <laughs> Let me just show you something in this, and then I'll get off of it real quick. Go to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. There's so many things, things, things come to my mind, things. <laughs> I'll give you some Greek words, and I'll define them, but I can't define thing. Okay. Oh, that's a thing, isn't it? Now look here in chapter 6. You come out of chapter 5. You go into chapter 6. And you see, you see some things that the reason people can't understand the book of Revelation is because they don't think figuratively. All this is figurative in Revelation. If you got seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 1.20, you, you've got to think figurative constantly. Reason, I think Revelation is the easiest book I teach. The easiest. Because I have learned what all these things are about and what they meant in the first century. You listen to Jack Van Ampe and he will talk in circles. And Hal Lindsey, they're just ignorant Jack Van Epe, all he does is memorize. That's all. And he connects the wrong things, and I never hear him, hear him give a Greek word. So in chapter 6, let me just say this to you. Verse 12, and Behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, you got seven seals, seven vials, seven churches, seven candlesticks, all this all through here. And this is when he opened the sixth seal, this is going to have to connect with the 15th chapter of Revelation because the 15th chapter, these seven angels have got seven vials and a vial was a bowl. A bowl was what they used when they're going to pour judgment upon another nation. You had a, here's a castle. 
and they would gather down here at the castle uh, border and they would put ladders up there while they were putting ladders up there they'd have these bowls of molten lead of fire and all kinds of things that they would pour out upon their attackers and that's what a vial is it's a bowl so these are God's bowls God's bowls of his wrath he's pouring out upon the world just like the illustration would be like here's the tower walls and so forth and they would pour these out so there's seven vials that he pours out upon the world, and you can read those one at a time in that 15th chapter. Excuse me, in the 16th chapter. Now, let me show you something here. It's not as hard as it looks. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. It doesn't mean there was a literal earthquake. You find the word earthquake is the word seismo. C-I-S-M-O. All through the New Testament. You'll also find the word uh, winds or heavy winds are called seismo also. Well, we get our word seismograph. A seismograph measures, it measures uh, the strength of an earthquake. Now, over there in Second Thessalonians, the Bible says no man should be moved by these afflictions, knowing that you were appointed thereto. And the word moved is a derivative of the word seismo. It means you don't need to be shaken by this. So this is not exactly talking about literal earthquakes. There's a guy here in town that teaches that earthquakes are going to split the world into three pieces, and it'll, be, and it'll actually split the world and the earth into three big different sections, a little earthquakes. And did it happen last year? <laughs> All right. And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. It doesn't mean the sun really becomes black. You cannot uh, tone down the heat of the sun. It means the sun won't be shining. It has the same basic meaning. When it goes on to say, black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood. Now remember in Matthew, Matthew puts it this way. Matthew 24, in fact, I'll just very quickly. This is the way I think prophecy. I said I wasn't going to get off on rabbit uh, runs, but here I am. Uh, here's the way Matthew puts it. Matthew 24, that 24th chapter of Matthew, instead of moon turning to blood... Turn to blood meant to die. It's not, moon don't, it doesn't mean a blood moon. The moon's going to be red. It doesn't say the moon turns to red. It says it turns to blood. 
turned to blood meant to die. Blood was a common word. If you use blood, it meant somebody was dying. And here's the way Matthew puts it. Matthew 24. In verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. It says over there in Revelation that the sun became black as sackcloth hair. It says the sun is darkened. And then it says uh, the sun is darkened and the moon will not give her light. When the moon doesn't give her light, that means she dies. She's turned to blood. It doesn't mean there's going to be a blood red moon like what's his face says down there in San Antonio. Don't listen to those guys. Turning to blood meant to die. How does the moon die? It doesn't mean somebody went up there and shot it or took a went up there and blew it up with a, a nuclear bomb. It means the whole purpose of the moon is to reflect the sun. And this is idiomatic language saying when the moon doesn't give her light or she turns to blood, that means there's going to be darkness upon the earth. When you go to um, the police or detectives and you ask them when men want to go out and steal at night. They want to go steal when it's not real dark, but dark, and the moon's giving enough light for them to sneak from house to house. They want darkness to be able to break into houses. That's why you need to light up your yard, because that keeps people wanting to break in. It don't make people want to break in. They don't want to be seen by the light you have outside. And that's a proven in uh, among the police. Now, when he says, so let's go back to Revelation. So what does it mean? What? If they turn dark. If what? It means that if the sun doesn't give her light, what it's talking about, there's going to be very little truth in the world. This is idiomatic language. It's the same thing I brought out to you this morning. Go back to Micah. Back to Micah. I love this verse. This explains. Be talking about powers and governments and stuff like that? Huh? No, it's talking about truth. Truth. Darkness is equated with no truth. Everywhere you find it. Look. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute in this same section here. Go back over to Micah. Micah. God is preaching against Israel, reprimanding them. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, Micah. Memorize your Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Micah. Now look at Micah, the third chapter. God is preaching against the prophets of Israel. And he says here in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people to err, that bite with the teeth. I went through that this morning. To bite with the teeth means to be poison like serpents. That cry peace. We're going to get along and have peace. And God says, you're not going to have peace. He that putteth not into their mouths that even prepare war against him. 
You're preparing war against God when you don't go by the truth. Therefore, night shall be unto you, and ye shall not have a vision. There'll be no truth coming out of your mouth anymore, prophets. And it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine, say smooth words. The sun shall go down over the prophets. There's the sun turning to darkness. It is no truth coming out of their mouths. And the day shall be dark over them. That's the sun turning to darkness. No truth coming from the mouth of the preachers. We are living in darkness in America. And that's the moon turning to blood. God uses the literal analogy of what they could recognize. And he says that's... Then if you go over here to verse 13, you'll see. And the stars of heaven fall unto the earth. You couldn't have a, a three-mile star hit the earth without causing a nuclear winter. It's not talking about a shower of meteors. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the stars of heaven falling to earth. He says that over and over. He says that right in the middle of seven stars in the right hand of Jesus. If you back up to the first chapter, the first chapter, he says, Jesus had seven stars in his right hand. There in verse 16. Then he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches of Asia, and the candlesticks are the seven churches. This is figurative language, it isn't it? So he says, the seven stars are the seven angels. And each one of them has a trumpet, seven trumpets, over there in chapter 8, 9, and 10. So the stars falling to earth. Look here at chapter 8 is the end of time. If you look at seven angels have seven trumpets. Remember, a trumpet was an announcement. If you're in the military and you hear Reveille, that is, I was in a military school. At Texas A&M was all military corps when I was there. And if you hear, that's Reveille. That means get up. It's time to get out of bed. I remember that specifically. And so it's announcing these seven angels have seven trumpets. It tells you here in verse 2. And the first, the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets in verse 6. The first angel sounded in verse 7. The second angel sounds in verse 8. The third angel sounds... And they're sounding judgment of God upon the earth. The third angel sounds in verse 9. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven. The seven stars are the seven spirits of the seven, seven angels. Seven messengers of the seven churches. The seven angels. That's verse 20 of chapter 1. 120. So the seven stars are messengers. 
It's these guys sounding the trumpets. So the seven stars that fall to the earth are the judgments of God falling upon the earth at the mouth of his stars or his messenger. An angel was a messenger. Angelos means messenger. So the seven stars are seven messengers. Seven stars. If you don't go to figurative language, you're never going to understand the book of Revelation. Never. And when you start understanding the figurative language, you're going, oh, this isn't so hard. It's not, is it? Not really. And you see in chapter 8, chapter 9, or you see the fourth angel sounds in verse 12. And then chapter 9, the fifth angel stands in verse 1, And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. That's the seven stars in his right hand, or the seven messengers of God. And I keep saying, if you're seven, Sheba is the Hebrew. That's the word seven. And this is a Jewish book. You start off with seven candlesticks in the middle of the first chapter, which are the seven churches of Asia. Seven comes from the word Shabuah, A-C-B-U-A-H, which is the word oath. Before you can take an oath to God, you have to go through sevens. In fact, the word oath means two, seven, one, seven. And that's not some magical thing I found. You look at your concordance at the word seven and all the words it comes from. And it'll say, Shabuah, two, seven, one, self. And you have seven things you have to add to your faith in Second Peter 1 and 5. And it names seven things you have to add. Starts off with virtue and knowledge, long-suffering. You have to name these things have to be in us before we can be sevened. So the seven churches, each one of them in chapters 2 and 3, each one of the seven churches of Asia, which you find right here on the western end of Turkey, they call that Asia Minor, each one of them had a glitch. They had a sin in their church. You can read through chapters 2 and 3 and see what the glitch in the churches are. It's not as hard as you think if you think figurative. You can't think literal like Van Impey and Hal Lindsey do and some other guys at the way they try to interpret the scripture. It will give you the answers itself. Now let's back up to where you see the sixth angel sounding in, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 9. Then you see the seventh angel sounding at the last trump. At the sounding of the seventh trump, which is the last trump in chapter 10, and the days of the voice of the seventh angel, verse 7, and then it repeats the voice of the seventh angel in 11 and 15. But it's not two different times the seventh angel sounded. It's just giving you a reminder, telling you twice, the seventh or the last trumpet sounds in, in, in 10 and 7, 11 and 15. Now go back over here to... Chapter 6. I preached for four and a half years on the book of Revelation. You've got to look at the figurative language. Don't come up and think it's talking about there's a blood moon up there. What's the guy's name? In? John Hagee. John Hagee. It's not talking about that. 
supposed to have a blood moon last year or something like that. And I don't know what he's talking about that's supposed to mean. Four, four blood moons. Four blood moons. He had a book about that. Well, good. I know he's probably another Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsey Jr. is what they need to call him. All right. Now, if you go back here to the sixth chapter of Revelation, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. You couldn't have meteorites falling to the earth because you'll have holes in the earth as big as some of those craters out there that fell during the age of the dinosaurs that devastated the earth. If you had big meteors hit the earth, you'll have a nuclear winter where it will, it will cause a covering of the earth of ash and silt and, and we wouldn't recover for a thousand years or longer or 10,000 years. So it can't be literal stars hitting the earth. has to be these stars that this same book is telling us about. Even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. In this next chapter, if you get you a sediment clinic and strong, you can tell what this is about. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. What is a mountain? It's a capital city of an empire. You look up Mount and McClinic and Strong and they'll tell you it is a mount heaven's And horns are all the same thing. They are powers. And a mount was a capital city of an empire. Capital city of an empire. Well, goodness, I got too many P's in there, don't I? Capital city. And it rules to the borders. You got a mountain of this world. What rules? What is the mountain of this world? Huh? Washington. It's what? What's the mountain of this world that rules the world? Babylon. What's the mother of harlots that rules everybody? Babylon. And what is God's mountain? Zion. Zion means sunny. It has much the same meaning as horizo. Prohorizo is the word it means to pre-horizon. It's the word predestinate. Horizo is the horizon. God's predestinated us for the sunny Zion. Babylon mothered. And Babylon was a mountain. God says Babylon was a... Notice how everything ties together. It's not like this is a bunch of different subjects. It's one subject. The Lord tells Ezekiel, I can't say this about these mountains without going over there to, let me just show you the two different mountains, okay? You go over to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 50, 50 and 51. All right. You have to learn to look at the Old Testament. You're going to read Revelation. You can't read it and just understand it without seeing where these mountains were. 
Jeremiah 50. Huh? Jeremiah 50. I can't hear you. Jeremiah 50. Yeah, Jeremiah 50. He says in verse 31, I am against thee, O thou most proud. This is 50 and 51 is the destruction of literal Babylon when the Persians came in, marched down the riverbed after they ran the, after Cyrus ran the riverbed of the Euphrates out here into the Arabian Desert. And Babylon was a city that straddled the Euphrates. And Babylon said, we can't be conquered. And Cyrus is from over here in what we would call Iran. And he come over here, it's Persia back then, and he marched down the riverbed after he diverted the river out here and went in and arrested and killed Belshazzar. So remember, it really, this goes with prophecy too. 50 and 51 is the destruction of Babylon, but that's not the only place. You got the destruction of Babylon in the 13th chapter of Isaiah. You've also got the destruction of Babylon in the 44th chapter of Isaiah, and it'll give you a description. They didn't say something once. They said it over and over again. Then he says, when these guys, these uh, prophecy teachers say, in fact, what was that guy, kind of a sissified prophecy teacher? <laughs> I can't think of his name. But he'd say, Babylon's going to be built again, and, and you call yourself a prophecy teacher? And Babylon will be built again because Saddam Hussein said he was going to build it to, on the Euphrates River. It's like, did you ever read this, boy? Verse 39, chapter 50, Therefore the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of the islands shall dwell there, and the owl shall dwell therein, and it shall no more be inhabited forever. And these prophecy teachers will talk about how it's going to be built again. You haven't read your Bible, have you? And it says that several times. Well, he calls Babylon proud. Why are they proud? They founded their... They founded themselves on let us make us a name. That's pride, isn't it? Then you get in the 51st chapter. <coughs> and he says in verse 24, I will render unto Babylon. This is where Cyrus is coming in. And to all the inhabitants of Chaldea, which is a name for the Babylonian area. All their evil that they have done in Zion, in Israel. In your sight, saith the Lord. That's amazing because God is the one that called him in to destroy Israel. I'm going to render unto you what you've done to Israel. Duh. Duh. God brought him in that says, now I'm going to hold you responsible for destroying my people. Then he says, behold, I'm against the O destroying mountain. Oh, the mountains are going to be shaken over there in Revelation 6 chapter. If God moved all the mountains of the world, it would take the biggest earthquake that's ever been to move the Alps and the Andes and the Rockies. And the it's not talking about literal mountains. It's talking about capital cities of empires. Behold, I'm against the old destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth. How did this mountain of Babylon destroy the earth? 
with pride, with let us make us a name, with false doctrine, which which we've been talking about on Sunday morning. It's going on right now. God has destroyed the mountain of the mountain in Washington D.C., which is our ruling mountain. He ha, he's destroying the nation with it. And I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks. I will make thee a burnt mountain. And you see Babylon burning in Revelation 18. And the merchants of the earth are going to sit back and look at Babylon burning and weep and cry because nobody buys their merchandise anymore because there's no more merchandise. But that's at the end also. So, and look over here in Ezekiel. He says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And that's what he does. You got to look up mountains in every place you find it. Now, let's look at the opposing mountain, Ezekiel. I've got my on my list of in my list thirty four uh thirty six excuse me this goes with my list ezekiel thirty six thirty seven and thirty eight but I don't have time to go through all that when I'm thinking of prophecy, I'm thinking of those verses. look here at ezekiel thirty the the New Testament is not separated from the old, not even in the not even in the figures of speech. Look here in Ezekiel thirty six. Ezekiel thirty eight. Now thirty six. The Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. Verse one. Also thou son of man prophesy unto the mountains of Israel. When Ezekiel is prophesying, where is Israel? They're over in Babylon. And Ezekiel's in Babylon. If he's going to prophesy to the mountains, he's going to prophesy to the men who are heads of that capital city that had been moved, moved over there from Israel. In fact, in the second chapter uh, of Zechariah, the Bible says, Deliver thyself, O Zion. Zion is the mountain of God. He's talking to the people. Deliver thyself, O Zion, from the daughter of Babylon. So you have to understand, Zion was the mountain of God. It means sunny. And whenever he says, speak to mountains, he's not talking about go out there and preach to Pikes Peak in Colorado. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about preaching to the people that were the rulers because they were the mountain. And he goes on to say here in the 36th chapter, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Not you big piles of dirt. He listened to the word of the Lord. He's talking about a mountain being a ruling city. Then he says, Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy hath said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Therefore prophesy, Ezekiel is in Babylon, prophesying to Israel, who hasn't completely been carried away, but he's prophesying to the people in Babylon and to the people over there through his prophecies that are still in Israel. 
he was carried away in the second deportation. And say, thus saith the Lord God, behold, because I have made you desolate and swallowed you up. Over what? Over their worshiping those trees and those sun gods. That you might be a possession of the residue of the heathen. You are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy, infamy of the people. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel. Is he talking to literal mountains? No. He's talking to the people that ruled in Israel, that turned away from God, went after sun and tree gods. They were carried into Babylon. Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. He's not talking to dirt, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains, to the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, and to the desolate places, and so forth. And it goes on down through here. God's talking about, I'm a jealous God, and I'm going to destroy you. But before this is over, he says, I'm, when he, he says, and 36th chapter is a favorite chapter on the sovereignty of God because God says, I will and you shall all through here. He says, I will. He says in verse 8, O ye mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. It's not talking about literal branches. It's talking about you'll branch out when I convert you. And you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand and in verse 9, I will turn unto you. Verse 10, I will multiply men upon you. Verse 11, I will multiply upon you man and beast. He's talking to the mountains. I will settle you. In verse 11, I will do better unto you. Verse 11, verse 8, I will cause men to walk upon you. And he goes all through here, all the wills and shalls. I have scattered you among the heathen, and I will take you from among the heathen, verse 24, and gather you out of all the countries that happened in 1948. And I will bring you to your own land, verse 25. I will sprinkle you with, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. That's living water, and according to the New Testament, the clean water, the living water is the word of God. And then he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. You shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And that happens, and that has to do with the 70 weeks of day. And I have to branch off and go to that. Notice how all this fits together. It just is like it meshes. Now, let me show you something here. Then you go over to Mark 11. And the mountain that has destroyed the world and made all the world drunk with the wine of her fornication is Babylon, right? And she was founded on Let Us Make Us a Name. So when you come up with your own doctrine, your own authority, when you get to Mark 11, Jesus is walking along. He comes to the house of figs, Beth Fadje, Beth Page, and he sees a fig tree afar off, and he says it has leaves. 
Well, you have to understand that it was against the law to kill fruit trees in that 20th chapter of Deuteronomy. You couldn't kill a fruit tree unless it was five years old or older in Leviticus, the 17th chapter, not bearing fruit. If it was barren, after five years, you laid the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down. Now here, Jesus kills a fig tree. He says, no man will eat from you forever. And there were some points about that you have to know. The tree had leaves. The Bible says so. Seeing a fig tree afar off in verse 13, having leaves. You have to know, but you're not going to know unless you go into something like McClinic and Strong and find out, look up fruit trees. They will tell you that a fig tree had leaves, but that was after the preseason figs. Preseason figs came on the tree before before leaves. And Jesus is not a dummy. He knows that. He's God. So he wanted to go see if it had fruit on it. There, and the time of figs was not yet. You have to understand leaves and time of figs. You're not going to know what that means. It sounds like time of figs. Time of figs was not yet. It sounds like the time for the tree to bear figs wasn't yet, but that can't be true because the figs came on the tree before the first leaves. So Jesus knew it had to have some preseason figs. He came. Now, if they had been harvested, that'd been one thing, but they hadn't because the Bible says time of figs was not yet. Time of figs was the fig harvest. Jesus was saying. They hadn't been harvested. Leaves are on the tree, and there should have been some figs there. Jesus was God. He knew how old the tree was. He would not break the law, and he cursed the tree, and it died. They went on into the temple, into the city, and Jesus cleansed the temple, ran the Pharisees out. They came back out the next day, and Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, E-D-E. That's a scribe's surprise. Behold, the tree that you cursed is dead, and it's against the law. Don't you know that, Jesus? And then Jesus said to him, You got your own name. You have your own onoma, your own name. Name is the word onoma in the Greek. It's the word shem in the Hebrew. You got your own name. You've uh, joined in with let us make us a name. You don't believe I know what I'm doing. Then he said, in verse 23, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. What's he talking about? Peter had a Babylonian attitude. This mountain belongs with discussing 
the mountain of Babylon as opposed to the mountain of God. These are in battle with each other all through the Bible. God opposes the mountain of Babylon, and God's going to win. If you say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt. Diacrino, don't have time to go into that. Diacrino is unbelief. It's discriminating. And shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. But when you speak something, you have to say the will of God in your life. That goes with faith and that goes with asking. You have to do it according to the will of God. I'm bypassing a lot of facts. I just can't go to all of them. Huh? Ide is a cry of surprise. It's like, what's the matter with you, Jesus? Do you not know? You killed a fruit tree. Let's go back over there, Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter. It's like, Peter was shocked. Peter more or less was saying, you don't know that you killed a fruit tree and that's against the law? Deuteronomy 20. Verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them. And he's not just talking about any trees because the next sentence tells you what he's talking about. For thou mayest eat of them. Don't cut down any fig trees. That's against the law. Even if you're making war with the city and you're going to make a siege against it, you can't take a fig tree as a battering ram and use it to knock down the gate. Not even from an enemy. And thou shalt not cut them down for the tree of the field is man's life to employ them in the siege. It's man's life because he can eat from them. Only the trees which thou knowest that, that they be not trees for meat. Meat doesn't mean beefsteak. Talking about food. And thou build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee, and it be subdued. And if you look over there in Leviticus 17... Not 17, 19, I believe it is. All right. 19, excuse me. In verse 23, 19 and verse 23, And when you shall come into the land, shall I plant all manner of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit thereof uncircumcised. Three years shall it be uncircumcised. That was because it wasn't to be eaten yet till the fifth year. And it shall not be eaten up, but in the fourth year all the fruit thereof shall be holy to the praise of the Lord. And in the fifth year you can eat of it. That it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. By the fifth year, after the fifth year, if it doesn't bear fruit, it's barren. Cut it down. And I believe it's in John 18. John 13, I can't remember. Let's look over here. John, 
the hold on all right John 18 well there was a man that had a tree I can't remember the exact verse and I quoted it so many times and I've gone blank on it but he had a tree a fig tree and after the third year he didn't he said let's put the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down and one of the other men said no let's dung it this year and if it bears not fruit in the fifth year then we'll cut it down because it doesn't bear fruit so when they were arguing Huh? 13.8. 13, I was right the first time. Luke. Huh? Oh, Luke 13. That's why I couldn't get it. It was Luke 13 instead of John 13. Luke 13 and 8. 8, did you say? Yes. Oops, I didn't mark. That won't work there, will it? All right. Sometimes I get these, I get these Gospels twisted over. 13 and 8. A certain man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years have I been seeking fruit on this tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cometh it the ground? See, all this goes together. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well... And if not, then in the fifth year, you can cut it to the ground. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, every tree that beareth not fruit needs to be cut down there in the third chapter of Matthew. Uh, notice nothing stands alone. It all stands in relation to everything else. Now, go back over there to Revelation. So I hope you understand mountains and what has to do, if you say to this mountain, it doesn't mean a mountain of debt or a, a mountain of sickness. It means you being involved in your own opinion. Now go back to Revelation. Sometimes I lose place in my mind where I am. I knew it was the 13th chapter of somewhere. If you think of all this stuff all the time, you'll get short-term memory loss <laughs> all right now back over here see just to discuss the end of time in the sixth chapter of uh, let's go back to the sixth chapter of revelation six chapter because it doesn't say what you think it says And this is why you need books on culture, customs, idioms, metaphor. You notice how much I quote McClinic and Strong. It says this set of books come out in the 1800s, and they figured, well, we don't need that kind of real in-depth uh, information anymore, so we'll quit printing a lot of that. What I just said about fruit trees, you're not going to find in Pictorial Encyclopedia. Zondervan's is not going to be there. You only find it back here. That's why you have to have older books are Mr. Uh, 
Mr. Uh, Hislop that wrote the two Babylons. He's got a bibliography that you can't even find most of these books anymore. And he, they are, it's a hundred and something in his bibliography that he quotes. And he's been the subject of attack by modernists. So, well, you can't believe that about Christmas. This has more information than any one book I've ever seen. On one page has more information. And and you just it is just unbelievable amount of information that's in it. He couldn't make all this up. That's crazy to say he's not reliable. He was a member of the Free Church of Scotland. That meant free grace. He was a predestinationist Puritan. Do I trust him? A lot more than I do these guys that want to criticize him. Now if you go back to Revelation six and read that verse again. Verse 14, the heavens departed as a scroll. Remember, the heavens were the ruling class also. Heavens, if you look up heavens in McClinic and Strong, first thing it goes to is governments. Heavens. So the heavens are going to be moved back as a scroll and heavens is the ruling class. It doesn't mean God's heaven up in the sky or everything's going to roll back. I was taught when I was a kid, uh, Jesus is going to come again and the heavens are going to depart as a scroll. He's going to stand between the rollback parts and that don't make any sense. Not the way they talked. And then he says, And every mountain and island shall be moved out of their places. Whatever's been ruling is going to move out of their position. Looks like we're coming to that now. We've got about 50 nations that are sitting on the verge of bankruptcy. All you have to do is go online and just Google uh, bankrupt nations or something along that line. I don't remember what I Googled, something like that. And they'll tell you all these nations, including America, is teetering and tottering on a, like on a fence waiting for everything to collapse. Greece, Italy, uh I just remember them in particular, that they're sitting on this collapsing fence. All right. Then he says, And the kings of the earth, and the great man, and the rich man, and the chief captains, and mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in dens and rocks of the mountains. That's what they did when they were hiding. You remember over there when... Uh, they're using their terminology. You remember when God says that Gideon was a, just a dirt farmer? Right before he came to Gideon and said, Thou mighty man of valor, Israel was hiding in the caves and in the mountains, hiding away from the Midianites because the Midianites were powerful and they were able to sub subjugate or put into bonds if they wanted to Israel. So they were always hiding in the mountains. This is a terminology that they would have in the first century to hide from all of this, these governments that were, these mountains that were teetering and totting on the destruction and said to the mountains and rocks, follow on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And this is very interesting, this last verse. For the great day, it doesn't say of his wrath. 
says the great day of the of the day O R G Ada. The great day of the wrath is come. The wrath, the is feminine, wrath is feminine. This is not God's wrath. The great day of man's wrath, man's orgay, and orgay is the wrath of a man being covetous, wanting his way. He's covetous and he wants lands. He wants his way. There's going to be all kinds of covetous exhibiting itself at the end of time. It's people wanting their way, climbing in buildings, shooting in crowds, killing people, terrorists wanting their way. There's about 50 wars going on in the world. I look up one day on the internet, how many wars do we have existing in the world today? Instead of looking at that, most people want to go on the internet and play games. You can look up how many wars are going on. You can look up storms. How many storms we had? How many hurricanes? How many tsunamis? It's been a phenomenal amount, more than ever before. This is a sign of the end. I believe we're sitting right up on the end of time. So when you look at this, if you think mountains are going to start falling down, not only mountains, the mountains of the world can fall is for the world to be destroyed, the literal mountains. It would take earthquakes everywhere and these, these volatile volcanic eruptions taking place all over the world. That's not what it's talking about. Oh, we'll have some literal earthquakes and literal everything else and storms and tsunamis. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after the things coming on the earth. He says, the great day of man's wrath is coming. Thee is feminine, great is feminine, day is feminine, wrath is feminine, wrath is okay. So man's wrath is going to come to a peak. It looks like that's where we are, doesn't it? We're growing towards it. Don't think it's going to get better. It's not. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse there in Second Timothy 3, 11 and 12. 13. So, that's another place of the end of time, but it takes a long time to explain it. Do you see that? When you really get down to what's going to happen at the end of time, it's very frightening. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? 24. What? 24. Four minutes? 24. Oh, 24. I started to say, I need more time than that. I can't even finish. All right. Now, you, I suggest that everybody get a McClinican strong. It's easier to me to sit down and read a book than it is to look on a screen. And maybe you like screens. I like to have a book I can sit down with and thumb through and look at. My books have personality to me. They're my friends. And that's why I've always got a book with me wherever I go, sitting, reading it. Mary will come upstairs, I'm sitting there reading. I don't look for hours to read. I just pick up a book when I sit down. I may read for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20. Sometimes I didn't intend to read much, but I'll sit there and read for hours. It'll build into hours. If you don't plan hours, 
and you just stay in a study mode, you'll learn a lot. They look like peacocks. Huh? They look like peacocks. What? My boat. My boat. <laughs> Mary said they look like peacocks. They got thousands of little post-it notes. Post notes in them. That's my... If you go to my library and pull one out, it'll be little post-it notes everywhere. Reading is everything to learn. If I had the attitude when I was young to read like I... Learning keeps you from being fooled. People can't fool you when you learn. They can't con you. The world is on a con journey. That's what they're doing. Trying to con each other out of money and and they get wrathful and want to kill each other over wives and if you watch the ID channel, they're killing each other all day long. How could one man, Joe Kenda, who was a detective in in uh, Colorado Springs, he's got a on the ID channel every Wednesday evening. I usually tape it for Wednesday evening so I can watch it later. And he's a very interesting man. He was a detective for 23 years, and he solved 387 uh, murders. If they got 387 murders that he did solve, how many that he didn't solve? And if they got that just in Colorado Springs, how many you got in New York? Yeah. Five, six, eight, ten a day? Look at Nashville. And Nashville's got so many. We're killing each other right and left as fast as we can in the world. The world is not for long. I don't believe it's going to last a whole lot longer. I certainly hope I don't. People say, they, I see these people who want to become young again and they do everything to be young. I don't want to be young again. It was too hard getting to this point. <laughs> don't want that time anymore at all. Would you read um, Revelation chapter 6 verse 4? Please. Revelation chapter 6 Yeah, there went out another horse that was red and the power was given to him that sat there on to take peace from the earth. The man that's riding the red horse is talking about the man that's got the sword and there was given to him a great sword. That's war. It's all over the world. Huh? They want to kill. Well these the first the the first four seals are the sword, the famine, the pestilence and the beast. That's what they are. Except the first one that comes out of the chute is riding a white horse and he's the beast. And then you got the sword, the famine, the pestilence. It, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are not hard to understand. I saw a movie one night. I didn't mean to. Came on the screen. The Rapture. I thought, oh God, I got to watch this. It's the stupidest movie I ever heard. Never saw it showed this woman, she wanted her daughter not to have to face the world during the tribulation, so she took her daughter out in Arizona up on a mountain and killed her. And while she's driving out there, she saw this, this white horse ride by her, cloppity-cloppity-cloppity-clop. And then she, saw, then she saw this red horse, and then she saw this black horse riding along the highway. It's just dumb. And they sell that to the public and they believe it. 
and she didn't want her daughter to have to go through the tribulation, so she took it on the mountain and killed her. Does anybody see that? Idiocy. The sword, the famine, the pestilence are the four beasts. Huh? Wasn't true. Yeah. What do you mean it wasn't true? You, Did she really kill her? No, it was Based it was a movie, Mary. <laughs> it was a stupid movie. People sell people stuff. They pick up the Bible and interpret it literally. Now I got to get back to some other things. What, what was that scripture you, he said just now? What? Revelation chapter 6, verse 4. That's the second horseman. You got four horsemen. These are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one is riding a white horse. And the fact that the next three are one has got a sword in his hand. The next one after that has got scales. That's saying a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. A penny was a denarius, and and that was a day's wages for a Roman soldier or a day's wages for a slave. And it took a penny or a denarius to buy one meal a day for one of these people. The wheat was the, was the food of the rich and wealthy. The... the uh, uh, the other was the the barley was the same thing as oats, which grew a lot faster and more of it. And that was for the poor people. And when he's holding this scale, the third horseman, and he's riding a black horse, he's saying a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And do not hurt the oil and the wine. Oil and the wine was for the rich only. So it's saying the rich are not going to be hurting this. They'll have the money to pay the penny or the denarius for the wheat, that for a measure of wheat. So what he's talking about is the sword. That's the second one that comes. He's got a sword in his hand. The third one is a black horse. He's got the scales talking about famine, how there'll be a day where there'll be not enough food. And then the fourth one will be the pale horse and death and hell rides with him and disease comes with him. That's pestilence. This is the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Since the sword, the famine and pestilence come after the white, the ruler of a nation rode a white horse. That's why when Jesus comes back in the 19th chapter of Revelation, he's going to be on a white horse. That don't mean he's going to be literally riding a horse. It means he's going to come back as king, is what it means. If they had had tanks back then, they'd have said he's coming back in a tank or on a rocket. Uh, you got to, a motorcycle. <laughs> No, Fred said some guy was preaching that uh, something about what was it he said Moses came off the mountain on a motorcycle said some guy's saying that for real like they were motorcycles back then now gosh I can't I never can get through this stuff because it takes us everywhere uh, where do I go I want to go back to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Let me just write these on the board. You can look at them. 
This is what I think of when I think of prophecy. Most of this goes through my mind. What a mountain is. What horns are. What heavens are. And if that's what heavens are, when the heavens depart as a scroll, it's not talking about literal heavens. It's talking about the heavens of this world are departing. All right. These are chapters that I look at. Matthew 24 takes me all day and all night just to go through it. In fact, I've got a... It takes me forever to go through it because it takes me back to the Old Testament, back to Israel. And Mark 13, same, as, same chapter as Matthew 24 and Luke 21... And Luke 17 says basically the same thing as these up here say. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 4th chapter. And the 5th chapter says the day of the Lord will come as a thief. But you're not the children of the darkness. That, that day should overtake you as a thief. You're the children of the light, not the children. You're the children of the day, not of the dark. That would take me into the Old Testament by how that Israel went after the gods of darkness. And Paul would tell the the churches, you were darkness, but now you're light. And the Lord walk as children of light. He says that in in the fifth chapter. Then, then I think of Second Thessalonians. I need to spend some time on this. Or not Second Thessalonians, Second Timothy. Second Timothy, the third chapter. It starts off by saying in verse one, "This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come." Perilous means dangerous. We're in that time now. Dangerous times are here. You don't know if you're going to live and somebody's going to come in and start shooting you. Do you? And I think of these chapters, Isaiah 11 and Ezekiel 36. I just went through some of that, 36. 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones. And Ezekiel says, I saw this valley, it was full of bones, and they were very dry. That meant they had been bleached in the sun for a long time, 2,600 years before they come to life. Israel died in 586 B.C., and they weren't brought back to life until 1948, May 14th. And that's just... Literal Israel. The literal Israel has to be spiritual Israel. Has to be spiritual, the church. So you got to couple them together. And then you've got 38. 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones. Preach to the Dry Bones. And when you preach to them, I will bring them together, bone to his bone. When I bring them together, they will be one body, no longer two nations, no longer be Judah and northern Israel, but they'll be one body. God says, when you preach to the dead bones, I will breathe life into them. 
That is a picture of us preaching the truth. We don't try to figure out who the elect are. God says the dead elect will come alive when you preach to them. And that'll be my breath. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. and It'll go into the God's people and bring them to life. And then I said, Revelation. You find the end of time in Revelation 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15, 12, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, and 20. You find the end of time in all of these, but all you have to do is know what it's talking about. 14, 15, 14, 15. And it's bringing you down to the end of time. It's John's vision. He'd look at something from this angle. Then he'd see it from this angle over here in another chapter. And he'd be saying things different. The angel of the Lord took me up. The vision showed me this. When you've got the end of time in all these chapters, it's not chronological, this chapter falling, falling on the heels of this chapter and so forth. That's not the way it is. It gives you these events that happen. And then it always takes me to the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel, I think of this. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. That's the 70 weeks of Daniel right there. And that makes me think of Leviticus 25 where God sets out the sabbatical years that they did not keep. The sabbatical years that Israel never kept or didn't keep for 490 years or 70 sets of them. 70 sets of the sabbatical years, 70 times 7. And it makes me think of Israel all the time they were a nation. They went after Baal in the grove. And God says, when you do that, I will scatter you throughout all the earth. And it makes me think of that. And I think of all the chapters where they were scattered. When you're studying prophecy, you've got to think of all of it. But you can't think of all of it unless you learn basically a lot of the scripture and what... The structure of the Bible is what you have to learn. And when you learn the structure, you'll learn the figure of speech with it. A lot of y'all can do some of this. I can't look up everything. Y'all are coming to me every once in a while telling me something that I didn't see before. Tracy will do that. She'll tell me something that she saw. Dave showed me something the other night. said... Uh, Talking about the narrow way. I looked it up in the interlinear Bible. It's got narrow in the wrong place in the interlinear. Under narrow, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. I believe they printed it wrong. You'll find mistakes in the interlinear as well as the King James Bible. But it says, narrow is the way, narrow and instead of having Thalibo, which is the word tribulation, it has TH right here. TH, TH, L, I, B, 
O M E N Ada. It has Stalibo Mene under it. That was under constricted, remember? Yeah, it and was. What should have but been. that was that was. We can't show that to him here. Yeah, they narrow weren't. was Stene, Remember that? Well, narrow was narrow was it was the wrong word under narrow. Right. It, showed it stene. had stenos on. Well, actually, stene or stenos, and it had narrow, had narrow, had stenos under narrow. That was wrong. And the other word Thaliba was was the word constricted. Yeah, they they call this constricted, and that's what it is. But what it says is Thalibo mene. Mene is the word endure. That's a lot of difference than just saying narrow tribulation is the way. Enduring tribulation is the way. They had that in the interlinear. That's what it says. Enduring tribulation. The way into heaven, you can't just walk through the tribulation way while everybody else is being shot down and you're not suffering it. You have to endure tribulation. I like that. Mean? Huh? What is a stenos mean? Stenos is straight. It means you're crowding through a narrow opening. Straight is the gate. But they try to define straight as narrow. It was just a... A mistake on the men who wrote the interlinear. If you look real close, you can find mistakes. And of course, stenazo means groan. Yeah, stenazo is to groan. That's right. That's what we're going through. Do I have any time left, Mike? Four. Four. No, four this time. All right. I think of all this and much more. I've given you more different things tonight. Sort of like a timeline. Huh? Sort of like a timeline. It's sort of like it. It just shows you everything is connected and tied together. It's a mesh. When you look up, don't just read something and think, oh, the mountains are going to be moved. Oh, uh, boy, there's going to be a. Uh, boy, if I feel the shaking, I don't know what it is. No. It, what you're feeling is the shaking of the governments. And that's what we're feeling right now. Every time we have a president that's trying to lead the world, I keep thinking, well, maybe this man of sin will be Clinton. I used to say that. Maybe it will be Obama because he is so popular with people and he's got a smooth, smooth talk. Sounds like the king of fierce countenance that smooth talks the world and by his, by his deceitfulness, he causes everything to prosper by being deceitful and I think of that that's in the 8th chapter of Daniel about the king of fierce countenance I don't even know if I put that up here Daniel 8 Daniel 7 Daniel 8 is the king of fierce countenance and that's the man that will be ruling in the world at the end of time he's the man of sin in 2nd Thessalonians the second chapter. The man of sin is the king of fierce countenance. King of fierce countenance and the man of sin are one and the same. And the man of sin in Matthew, the 17th chapter, that's what Judas is called. Not will be lost, but the 
this man of sin, or this, actually it says son of perdition, but he's also called the son of perdition in the second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Son of perdition is the same thing as the king of fierce countenance. Looks like Kentucky Fried Chicken, don't it? And uh, <laughs> Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, the man of sin and the son of perdition, they're all the same. You got to look, see what's being talked about, who's being talked to. I've got so much more. I want to go back to the second. I may go back to Second Timothy. This know also in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient, unholy. And it goes through this list of things that's going to be happening at the end of time. And it's happening right now. Have you ever thought about how the Bilderberg thing would fit into this? Well, I don't know that the Bilderberg is any different than just the government because the people that are in the Bilderberg or the Trilateral Commission are just the government's leaders of the world, the most powerful people in the world besides Bill Gates or some of these rich guys. It's the kings and the queen of England and the list goes on and on. And they get together in meetings every year, the Bilderberg group does, and the queen is a part of it, and all these presidents and past presidents and princes around the world, they're a part of it, and they, I believe they're controlling more than we know. I believe that, that it is, if you've read as much as I've read on kings and presidents, I believe that they have caused a lot of the uh, financial disaster, earthquakes, and so forth. Possibly even the uh, the big collapse of the economy in 1921, the Great Depression. I believe they control everything that's happening in the world. But they think they're doing it for good and they're doing it for themselves. I don't believe the guys in Washington really try to solve things. You know why I don't believe they try to? Because they know they can't. They know with the debt we owe, it cannot be paid off. But we got one up on every one of them. What's that? We know who's in control. That's right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand that your coming is... Near, with all these things that's going on, it can't be far away. Thank you for truth. Protect us, Lord. Be our guide. Defend us. Fight our battles. And we'll give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Everything else is just, everything else is just symptoms of the big end that we're looking at.
Whew, I'm tired. That about wore me out today. Hey Tim, how you doing? Huh? I've learned so much more. I'm just, I'm just getting ready to take care of You what? I was getting ready to take care of it. Oh, okay. Just watching, just listening. It, you know, and when I get home or it's not tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, I'm going to turn on the TV, and what you talked today and tonight, I'm going to go through it over and over and over again. Yeah, well, you need to. It takes that to get there. I tell you, this is bigger than I ever thought in my life. You know, what I thought earlier in 20 years, well, I thought I knew something. I didn't know nothing. It's not as easy as the world makes it's not. it. Oh, me. Here's your sure sign of the, the, the end of the world. In the Bible Belt right here in Tennessee, you can buy liquor at the liquor store on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Liquor's not our problem. Well, it's just they just, they just passed it that now. But that's not the problem. The problem is in the First Baptist on. Church up here in that preacher's mouth. It has nothing to do with liquor. I gotta run. Thanks, Jim. Okay, thank you. But they just passed that law. Well, liquor is not the problem. Drugs is not the problem. It's the preachers that's the problem. It had nothing to do. All the rest of it is just symptoms of the guys in the pulpits. When you don't tell people they need to repent, they'll drink liquor and they'll... I'd rather talk to a bartender than a Baptist deacon. just never thought that they'd sell liquor at the stores, restaurants, I mean... I don't care about that. No, but that means... Uh, it's been like that in Massachusetts for years. See, what bothers me are the preachers that lie and tell people all they have to do is accept Christ and pray this prayer and they're home free. That's what bothers me. I gotta run so I can get to bed for work. Okay. Like everything sort of does come together after hearing stuff for so many years. Mountains, I get it. You get it? I do tonight. I mean, I knew that that's what it was, but now I really see it because you went. What you doing? You went back and explained it really good. Well, I went to all the mountains. Yeah. I see it now. It's not hard, really. for me tonight. I mean, Well, I'm glad you're seeing it. Oh. Yeah, I have some juicy fruit. Yes, you uh, can. Can you find any in there? Uh, okay. How you doing? You got, you got, you said, what's that, uh, that, uh, that book you got?